Hey, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Before we get started, just a few quick announcements. First, the Wang Bang Podcast has expanded its social media influence. You can now follow us on Twitter at Cast. You can also find our episodes on iTunes and Google Play as well. So if you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe. I also wanted to note that we do not have a movie that we are set on reviewing for the next episode. So if any listeners want to hear our thoughts on a specific movie, please let us know. And now, Wonder Woman. Hey, Wang Bangers. Thanks for tuning in to the eighth episode of the E-Wang Bang Podcast, Everyday Commentary by Everyday People. This is your host, Emil Wang. And now that the NBA season is over, we finally return to what got us started here in the first place, film reviews. And my listeners know that a movie review doesn't happen without one of my fellow hosts, critically acclaimed comedian and man that's undefeated in the octagon. Mr. Jeffrey Liu. <laughs> How's it going, All man? All right, coming in with a record of zero and zero, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're ju- hey, you're just like uh, McGregor in the boxing ring, all right? It's true. How's it going, man? Been a while since we talked. I know it's been. I, I've been. I've been waiting for this. Yeah, sorry. The uh, Golden State Warriors did take priority over. So uh, James and I uh, apologize profusely, but that did take precedence. Uh, that being said, this week we are reviewing DC's Wonder Woman, the movie starring Gal Gadot, which gives us an origin tale of everyone's favorite Amazonian princess warrior, who eventually leaves her protected island of Themyscira to battle a greater evil in the world, all while discovering fashion, cute babies, ice cream, and the wonders of the human flesh. All at once, <laughs> possibly. You'll have to see it to find out. Chris Pine co-stars as Steve Trevor, an American soldier who helps recruit Wonder Woman to join his fight in the First World War. And similar to our last movie review, this episode contains some spoilers, and we also do not intend to cover too much of the source material, though I'm sure some of it will come up. So with that out of the way, Jeff Liu, what did you think? DC finally got one right, did they? DC just gave a huge sigh of relief that they finally have a decent movie on the books. I mean, after Dawn of Justice and the first Superman Suicide Squad, I mean, like, it it wasn't really looking good for the uh, DC Cinematic Universe, but with Wonder Woman, they, they finally, you know, put one on the board. They finally put out a film that is worth the watch, no matter what you think about it. And, uh, you know, it was thoroughly enjoyable from, from the very beginning to about 10 minutes towards the end. But the end didn't ruin the rest of the film for me. Right. And just before we get into that, just to be clear, uh, when we say the DC universe, we actually mean the Snyder DC cinematic universe. Um, obviously there've been previous, uh, Batman movies that, you know, the, the Nolan movies, the Tim Burton movies, um, you know, those are all obviously DC films, but they're not tied into this DC cinematic universe. Um, Yeah. And, and yeah, I do believe that the last 10 minutes, or really just the last act of the movie was pretty weak. 
But let, let's start from the beginning because I thought that the first act, you know, building up her character, building up the story was done really well. You know, one of the best things about this movie was the introduction to uh, where Diana came from, which was the island of Themyscira. They did this set piece so beautifully. I mean, it is really a gorgeous island. They have a, a super strong cast that they put on the island as Diana's supporting cast. Robin Wright is phenomenal. You have uh, Connie Nielsen as Hippolyta, who is Diana's mother, who is Wonder Woman's mother, and she does a phenomenal job as well. I mean, you know, with the script that she's given. And then you have Gal Gadot, who, you know, she comes in fresh-faced. She comes in as kind of this is this is really the first leading role in a A-list movie that she's had so far, and I think that for everything that that she's given through the script in this, she does a remarkable job in the first act as young Wonder Woman. I, I think that this first act really brought me in and gave me, you know, a lot of hope for the rest of how this movie was going to go. And for the most part, the movie really took that tone and carried it throughout the rest of the film. And, you know, that, and that's really important because none of the other DC films ha have done that. They've kind of had kind of like slow starts to begin with, and they kind of follow that pace the whole way through. With Wonder Woman, they start strong with um, with Themyscira, and they, they kind of push that through. They ride that momentum throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, going back to the set piece of, uh, or the, the whole set of Themyscira, I, I thought one of the one of the first scenes that stuck out to me was the beach training scene where you kind of have this overview shot of all these women on the beach, you know, practicing striking or shooting bow and arrows. It, right. It, yeah. it, it almost, it kind of made me laugh because in my head it was almost like your equivalent of a jail scene of men like pumping iron and stuff. Like I thought it would have been hilarious if they just had a bunch of weights on the beach. And you just had all these women, like, you know, doing bench you know, presses and leg lifts and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, your mind would go that way. I was actually thinking it was more along the lines of when Tom Cruise first went into the village in The Lost Samurai, and you have people actually shooting arrows and stuff. But whatever, man. <laughs> you, go, you go where you want to go with that. <laughs> but, yeah, either way, I mean, the, the whole training sequences, you know, were, were, were pretty intense. And, you know, that, that really... It, you didn't see it as a, a bunch of women like working out. You were like, oh man, these are warriors training. Right? That, no, was, that, that was the feeling that you got. And, you know, obviously you had kind of those cutesy, cheesy moments of Gal Gadot as, I'm not Gal Gadot, as Diana Prince as uh, the little girl, you know, kind of learning the, the whole history of the island, you know, and getting an understanding of why they're, they need to be warriors, uh, eventually becoming one herself. And all of that, you know, I would say that first act kind of culminates to that that final scene on the beach, right, where, they're, where they fight off those, uh, those German soldiers. Uh, I want to touch back on the point that you made about uh, just a feeling of strength. Um, I, I think that that is, that is really the key for this movie. Um, you never once doubt that... Uh, the protagonist in these movies, the female protagonist in this movie is strong. And I think that that's an illusion sometimes that you have to draw with some of the other superhero movies that you see, like, you know, you see, um, uh, what's her face as Catwoman in the dark Knight, um, and Hathaway. And you really have to kind of stretch your imagination to imagine her as any sort of strong female role model there. Uh, you, you know, she's not particularly physically, uh, imposing in any sort of way, and she's kind of got, got, got kind of a 
wayward moral compass. And it's the same thing, you know, you, you think about Jennifer Garner in Electra. Again, you kind of have to suspend your animation with that. You think about Halle Berry as Catwoman, you still have to suspend your animation with uh, your imagination for that. I think the, the last real example that we've, we've had of a woman in a strong superhero role really is Lena Headey as Queen Gorgo in 300. Yeah, I think, I think that was another, uh, movie where you you really believe that there was not just the mental fortitude there but also the physical strength and i mean you can even turn it back to the early 1990s with michelle pfeiffer and, and batman returns you know that was that was kind of a a, a, a non-traditional kind of eccentric show of strength but again it that you know in order to see that sort of level of female empowerment that sort of you know self-confidence and everything you have to go back so far and I think that this may be the, uh, you know, modern offering to that, to give uh, the girls a role model in film that they, you know, wouldn't otherwise see. Uh, I agree. I- I'm going to throw my throw my hat in the ring and say that there is one kind of ambiguous uh, female star who pulls it off pretty well. And that'd be, uh, I think her name's Katie Loltz, who plays, uh, she's on the arrow. White Canary. White Canary. Uh, and- yeah. Yeah. In Arrow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree I, with that. I, I, because I think in real life she is she's a parkour runner. She you know she's an an elite dancer also and a pretty yeah. solid action star. I, I think she actually pulls it off pretty well. But she you're right. I mean she doesn't really get a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of attention for for her acting talent. Yeah. But I would say yeah. you know what what you're saying is right about you know Wonder Woman being the most well known female superhero. Yeah. So so going back to that, going back to that scene on the beach where they're fighting the Germans, I actually thought that that scene was the best action scene in this film. The you know, the the arrow, uh, you know, the bow and arrow fight scene was very very artistic. I, I would even argue that that's kind of how I would picture arrow arrow foo, right? I mean, we talked about this in episode <laughs> one about gun foo, you know, turning you know gunfighting into an art. I would say this is probably the closest that's that in my mind has come to arrow foo. You know, it, even from the the setup of like planting a bunch of arrows into the sand. You know, uh, running, jumping, turning. Uh, what, what's the term when you load an arrow? Knocking, I think it's knocking, the term. knocking, yeah. knocking the arrow. I mean, all of that was beautifully done, and, and you can kind of see the similarities to how John Wick did the gun foo, where you know part of the art of it was loading the gun, you know, uh, even positioning yourself, pointing the gun, and then finally pulling the trigger. Right. And, and you know, I, I'm actually right there with you. And, and that is like one of the sorest spots in this movie for me because they kill off Robin Wright as Antiope just at the end of the scene. And that is so disappointing because she is such a powerhouse in the first 20 minutes of this film. Like, I... I honestly, I could, I, I could go out and uh, I would watch a movie that just stars her in, you know, in the backstory of, um, of her character in this role. Cause she was just, she was amazing for me. Like, uh, because at the very beginning, when you watch Wonder Woman, when you watch Gal Gadot's character, she still kind of is like a babe new to the, um, new to the world sort of thing. She has this, uh, inherent naivete because she's not exposed to anything. You can tell that Robin Wright's character has seen the, you know, trials and tribulations of war. You that she's been through the shit with all of her sisters and everything like that. She knows 
what it's like to take a take a life and she doesn't hesitate and that's it's so inherent with her and you know that really comes through in her character and that's part of the disappointment too because even though it was a beautifully done fight scene it it kind of shows the first unforced error in this movie and that's that's like that's kind of a sore spot for me um so i'm going to interrupt you i I couldn't tell the difference between the mom and the aunt. <laughs> I guess all white ladies look alike to me. And when they're wearing the same costumes, it's like – It's true. Yeah, I was like, who yeah. was who? So uh, Robin Wright was her aunt. Robin Wright was her, the general that trained her. It wasn't right. wasn't her – yeah. Right. It, it was, it was, she was Hippolyta's sister, but that wasn't really like delved into that, that deeply. Uh, okay, yeah. right. So it's technically Wonder Woman's aunt. Yeah. Um, I, I also thought that the kind of uh, sacrifice for somebody else scene was done very poorly. And I guess that's yeah. one of those like that's one of those scenes that you can I feel like movies have never gotten right. I mean, <laughs> like every time I see, you know, somebody sacrifice themselves for somebody else, I think of um, have you ever seen Eddie Murphy's The Golden Child? Yes. Okay, so yeah. there's a scene in there where – this is like the worst scene of all time. But the woman, this Asian woman, is, is essentially sacrifices herself for Eddie Murphy who's about to get shot. And she literally backflips like 50 yards straight. Uh, I like know. Just, a continuous backflip. In a silk kimono. No, yeah. like in a, in a short silk kimono. Yeah. <laughs> and she just backflips for like five minutes just, yeah. like, just to get to Eddie Murphy to sacrifice her body. Like – <laughs> Every time I see a scene where people uh, people sacrifice themselves, I'm like, ah, not much has changed since the Golden Child. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that that's the thing. Like, you, you know, th- this this goes into some of the shortcomings of of the writing. I, I I feel as though, you know, we talked about unforced errors in movies before, and this is one of them. Like Hippolyta gets it. You know, she knew right from the get go that that Diana had something special about her. I mean, the the chick heals almost immediately. You can't tell me that Hippolyta didn't notice this during the, you know, 20 to 30 some odd years that Diana was growing up on the island, you know? And then Diana is the one who's hiding behind the rocks for the vast majority of this, of this scene. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, dude, you're letting all your sisters get shot and you got this shocked look on your face and nobody is telling like her just like, Hey man, what could, could you like, you know, take a couple, could you sacrifice your body a little bit for the play here? Come on now. You know, like the first scene, like one of, one of Diana's sisters swings down from the cliffs and it's awesome. And she shoots off like six arrows and kills six German soldiers. And then like one soldier gets off a single bullet at her. And that's like the end of it. And I'm sitting there. I'm just like, wait a second. Aren't they all supposed to be these like super, superhero level people? And like, what? that was one thing I was unclear about because I thought Amazonians were immortal. And yeah, basically invulnerable. And then Wonder Woman was just kind of like a, a step up from that. But it yeah. seemed like in this movie, and they never made this clear or not, if these girls were immortal, and also, you know, if if they had superhuman strength. So in in the and this is when we're going to get into some of the source material in the comics, they make it very clear Wonder Woman is a step above. Absolutely, you know, like Wonder Woman is bulletproof she can fly she has all these like um like incredible reflexes she is uh 
probably as close to um, a female version of Superman as you can get physically. She doesn't, you know, have the cold breath or the laser eyes or anything like that, but just as a, as a level, like the tier of superhero that she is, she's on Superman's tier. She could go and hold her own against a Superman level character, but like, you know, her, Amazonian sisters are not far off, you know, they fight off like the demons of hell and stuff, you know, they fight off Greek gods and like that sort of like that sort of level of stuff. And, you know, I was really confused. I mean, you could redefine the cinematic universe any way that you want, because you're essentially setting the scene. But I don't understand why you would sacrifice such compelling characters so early on for really no particular reason. You know, there was no reason they needed to kill off uh, Robin Wright's character, and there was no reason for Diana's mother, um, Hippolyta, to keep these sort of secrets from her. Like that is an unforced error in my book, you know. And you know, this this actually this if if Wonder Woman was a standalone film, if it was just a one and done sort of thing, I would I would get it. You know, you want to have as much of an emotional impact on your audience as possible in a single film, but you know, this is going to be, you know, one of three or one of five films that are being made. You know, that this is going to be tied into your, the rest of your justice league and your DC universe. Like, I don't know why you would kill off like such a moving relationship for Diana for the sake of, you know, like what would like, she would like Diana would have left the Island anyways. They didn't need to kill off Robin Wright. Robin Wright was forcing her off the island it wasn't a plot driving moment it just seems like they made a mistake there and you know that's that's that was the first string that kind of unraveled this movie for me yeah and and to add on to that i i i not only did they kind of kill off um robin wright's character i think they also never really revisited the amazon the amazonians at the end she never goes back to themiscara at the end of the movie once she's off the island she's off which yeah. I thought was kind of odd because you think that, you know, the, the movie would kind of come full circle in the sense that she would, you know, go back and there'd be some kind of moment where like her fellow, you know, Amazonian sisters like, oh, we're proud of you. You saved the world. And uh-huh. oh, by the way, you know, Aries was real, you know, yeah. but instead it's just like, oh, flash forward to, you know, 200 years later where she's hanging around the, the loo and getting notes from Bruce Wayne. It's like, well, that's not that's not the, the story that we wanted to see full circle. What we really wanted to see was how did she you know what happened when she made it back to our island? Because apparently getting to Themyscira really wasn't that hard. It was no, that's another thing too, okay? Themyscira is like it's like the island from Lost, all right? There's no actual coordinates for it anywhere. It's this it's this thing, it's this like place that keeps on moving throughout the world and you have to be like of a particular, you know, righteousness or be worthy to to get onto the island. That's how Steve Trevor got onto the island. And this one is just like, oops, you know, we planted it in the middle of the sea. And a whole bunch of German guys died there, but you know, I, they probably won't find it again. You know, I, I thought that another, it was another unforced error. And this is not like, I don't care if you don't stand by the, the comic book source material, but really give a critical thought about how this is going to affect the rest of your, you know, the, the, the rest of your empire <laughs> when it comes to the films and, and then make a smart decision about it. it this, this is something that, could have easily been avoided by by the executives at Warner Brothers. 
Yeah, I mean, we we could spend a lot of time talking about uh, you know the first act and you know the mascara, but I think we we kind of move on to the the last two thirds of the movie. <laughs> uh, so Chris Pine's character, who we haven't gotten into yet, but Chris Pine is that American soldier who crashes on the mascara. The Amazonians save him, and he tells them that you have this big world war going on on the outside, and he basically convinces uh, not not directly convinces, but he indirectly convinces Gal Gadot that. You know, she needs to leave with him, see the rest of the world, and eventually hunt down Hades. Not Hades, Ares. I want to take this point to talk about Chris Pine because I I think Chris Pine as uh, Steve Steve Rogers. No, Steve Trevor. (laughs) (laughs) I I was about to say, Chris Chris Pine was so upset that he didn't get the role of Captain America that he took the next best thing. (laughs) Captain America B. Yeah, I, I I thought that Chris Pine was actually the best actor in this movie. Um, you know, the the subtle scenes that where he's talking to the very very naive uh, Diana Prince, where Diana Prince is like, you know, oh, there's this you know, the world is a beautiful place, but Ares, you know, corrupted corrupted everybody. So if we kill if we kill Ares, everything's going to be fine. I love how Chris Pine just is kind of like, oh yeah, 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 that's how it is. It kind of reminds me of um, you know, somebody like somebody talking to a very, very enthusiastic religious person, right? It's like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus can come back and save all of our lives, and, you know. <laughs> so I, I think he did that really well, and I think at the end when he, you know, he kind of gives monologues that, like, like, basically he's like, hey, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, this, you know, this Aries thing wasn't true to you, but the fact is humans are fucked up. But there are still some good ones, and you know, let us let us redeem ourselves, right? That, that's basically the, the kind of the, the the speech that he gives her at the end. Yeah, and, and you know, I think Chris Pine did a great job as just kind of the straight man in all of this because Gal Gadot's naivete, uh, you know, it only goes so far without a strong supporting uh, actor here, and you know, and and Chris Pine, you know, he played. Uh, you know, basically the Robin to Wonder Woman's Batman so well here. Like, you know, he, he fulfilled his role. He never upstaged Gal Gadot um, at any point, really. And and I think that that's a very difficult thing to do because I think, you, you know, you're right that Chris Pine, on a pure acting talent wise, he's probably he was probably the best, you know, performer in this entire movie. And, you know, that's that's just more praise to like the type of chemistry between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine, because like, it really takes a, like um, a duo that works well together, like a Steph Curry and Clay Thompson in the 2015. Wow. Wow. (laughs) You know, you know, your basketball. All right. James is out of his job now, (laughs) but I mean, like one of them takes the spotlight. You have Gal Gadot, who is the Steph Curry. And then you have Clay Thompson, who is the, you know, effective and absolutely necessary um, secondary character behind her. And, and, you know, I think that 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 dynamic was really the best, like was really the best character development that you could have asked for in this movie Um, beyond any of the writing, beyond any of the plot points. It is so like clear that Gal Gadot and Chris Pine had such a good working relationship and it really showed through the film and again it's so disappointing because they killed the motherfucker at the end of the film I just well, like, yeah. well 
let, okay, so he, here's here's why I think that they had to do it, um, and kind of the same reason why uh, Peggy Carter had to die, uh, not die in um, in Captain America, but we, you know we basically had to eliminate the relationship between Peggy Carter and uh, Captain America at the end of the first uh, uh, Captain America movie, is because I don't think they're gonna make sequels. For, that would take place in a timeline between 1920 and and present day. I I think every Wonder Woman movie after this is going to be closer to present day. So if you don't kill off Steve uh, Steve Rogers or Steve Trevor, uh, you would have to explain like, oh yeah, this you know this guy got old as fuck and died while you know <laughs> while Wonder Woman just kind of stayed young and you know you would have to kind of go into that plot line, which is, you know, I'm sure would be compelling in some ways, but on the, on, you know, we've already seen Benjamin Pratt and like, you know, <laughs> movies where people get old and some people don't. Um, so I, I, I think that's, you know, him killing himself, him sacrificing himself was really the, the real display of humanity, the good of humanity, right? Because honestly, none of his other team died. Nobody else on his team actually sacrificed themselves. Which I thought was kind of weird. It would have been it would have been a good ending if all of them just died one by one, right? That would have been really compelling. Um, because you know, I mean, Gal Gadot's sitting around and she's like, "Oh, I'm this immortal. I can do whatever the fuck I want." But humans, like you know, there is a bit a level of fragility to them, right? And oh, yeah. the, the the fact that they're willing to sacrifice their bodies or, and their lives for this, I I think you know you needed somebody to die, and I think it works well because they're going to jump many years in the future. <laughs> oh, let, let, I mean, like, I, I want to kind of turn it back to uh, the plot, the plot of the um, film after Diana gets basically dropped off in 1920s England with Chris Pine. Um, I, I think that th- this is kind of where the movie hits a weird lull for me. Um, it, y- you know, the, I'm the sorry, fish- in in when they make it to London. Yeah, when they make it to London for the first time. Okay. And, and it, it kind of hits a weird lull for me because, you know, we've seen the fish out of water situation a lot of times um, throughout the, uh, you know, for, for for a lot of different types of films. But it's kind of strange that Gal Gadot acts almost like a child in the way that she walks walks through London. And mm-hmm. I get that there needs to be a distinction. And, you know, this is the first time that she's seen the the real world in any sort of light but i you know like i feel as though they put her off as a very intelligent very you know easily uh adaptable person throughout this entire film and it kind of seems to me that after you know one or two instances where you know she's met by this like oh that's how you do it in in the real world that she would have adapted that she would have understood that there is you know a degree of difference between the world that she came from and what the modern world is like that being said i understand why they did it i mean she needed to keep that kind of like idealistic rage for some of the scenes later in the films where she just gets upset at the things that are happening in the world and she doubts whether or not man is you know a being that's worth saving but still like it it kind of took away from the strength, I, I feel as though the strength of her character by by making her seem so vulnerable for such like mundane things in London. And, you know, that being said, I feel as though that's a good, that, that was kind of a good set, 
you know, set off to what was for me the best fight scene in the entire movie, which was the uh, no man's land scene. Um, I think that scene was just absolutely iconic. Yeah, I, I think everything building up to it, you know, and at that moment, she still kind of she still believes in humanity, which is why she's, you know, she's basically, uh, yeah, I would, I would say in tears when she's like, you know, how can, like there's women and children dying over there. How can you sit here and not do anything like you, you could really feel her compassion in that moment? It's not just the action scene itself. It's the buildup. Right. You know, there's there's this conflict. There's this kind of level of uh, hopelessness sitting on on that side of the pit. Um, you know, the imagery itself, it's a bunch of like, you know, men that are just sitting in a pit. Uh, it's really dark. It's kind of a hopeless situation. There's just yeah. explosions going around all, you know, all over them. And she, as this, I would almost call her like an underdog warrior, you know, steps yeah. out and leads the charge. It, it's a really moving moment. Oh yeah. And, and then, and, and it's, you know, the cherry on top is just an awesome fight scene. And, and see that, that's the type of exciting fight scene that I've been looking forward to, you know, like, not the shaky cam, you know, weird man, God creature against Batman, not, not people talking like this and like, you know, Martha and all this other stuff. It was just, but Martha, but Martha, no, but I mean like Gal Gadot just like wrecks it. And, and it's just like, it's awesome to watch. It's incredible to watch. It, it's like, it's my God. I hope she keeps on going. Like, you know, throw a couple more machine guns at her. I want to see her like, like slice that stuff up too. What she's going into town. What she did a knee through a damn wall and the guy goes flying. Oh man. I like tiger knee, that, tiger, knee. tiger knee. Oh man. That was, that was some fun stuff. You know, watching her do like snowboard tricks on, on her shield and, and like doing all these crazy kicks, just clearing rooms at the room. And you know, that actually contributes to what I feel, you know, that uh, Chris Pine's, you know, um, performance as a secondary character was because she, he never once steps into the position. It was like, Oh no, let me take care of this. You know, like you, you small fragile woman. She, he sees her for the strength that she has and like readily takes it back. Yeah. As a, as a supporting, just like you do you, you know, and we'll, we'll do the cleanup and everything like that. And it's, it's just, it's so much fun to watch that one scene. You know, I could go back and I could watch that scene over and over again because it it's just so much fun to watch. It's 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 incredible. It may be one of the best superhero fight scenes that I've seen in the Marvel or DC cinematic universe combined. Like it it was just a super fun scene to watch and it was really awesome to watch, you know, Gal Gadot really pull it off as Wonder Woman because if if you take away anything from this movie if you take away like what I think is kind of a rushed script and 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 some of the um, flaws and some of the dialogue and the character development and everything, if you just remember this movie for like one aspect of it, it would be this you know 15 minute battle that starts off in no man's land and just has Diana raise an enemy village to the ground and it's just it's so much fun to watch. I do have two new two notes from there that I, I have to bring up. First, um, the sniper guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> like he he kind of outs himself as this dude with PTSD and he can't you know he can't kill anybody anymore. Right. Does the guy do anything? No. The the movie? He doesn't. He doesn't <laughs> Which I was do like, I was I like, mean, what, why'd you have this guy? Like, was yeah. it just kind of a, a I don't know. Okay, so so here's the thing. You and I have actually discussed this, and you have said, and I don't know if you've changed your opinion since the last time that we talked, that Wonder Woman was what Captain America, 
the the first Captain America should have been. And I, I and I was just like, get get the hell out of here. All right. Mm -hmm. They they tried to pull the same stuff in um in uh Wonder Woman with the you know super eccentric supporting cast as they did in Captain America. Only mm -hmm. in Captain America they did it right. They had Dum Dum Dugan, they had uh you know like this the Asian guy from Fremont, they had Bucky Barnes and those were the Howling Commandos. They were a unit that just took care of business, you know, like they, they were pulled from uh, a prison camp. They were a ragtag unit that Captain America just put together and led by sheer force of character. And it was fun to watch them because they were all compelling and competent characters. <laughs> they fulfilled <laughs> their role. And yeah. then have the Wonder Woman, like, I don't know, the, the, the Wonder Woman three stooges. <laughs> like, they, you you have you have like this weird Moroccan dude that yeah. won't stop hitting on Diana, and I you know like I honestly don't know what he was doing, but like he he ran around with a gun, you know. It yeah. didn't seem like he was doing anything ever. You have a hard drinking sniper that doesn't do anything that has PTSD, and he never fires a shot. I thought at the end he was gonna like. Oh shoot! You know, like I'll, I'll do it. I would actually yeah. put him up as a sacrificial lamb. It's like, don't worry, guys, I've got this. Like, and that would be his redemption moment, and they would make sense. And then you have like the like, Native American Chihaw from, from from Super Street Fighter in there, who <laughs> is just like out there being John Redcorn for like thirty minutes and not doing anything. <laughs> like, give me a break, dude! Like, like. You want to push away from stereotypes? How about not make, like, the fucking guy from Wind Talkers make a cameo in Wonder Woman? Can we stop that, please? Like, that, like I'm, all for, I'm all for having, like, a diversity of, of cast, but could you not make them just, like, flagrant stereotypes of, of, the, of the, place that, the places that they came from? Like that, th th their unit. I mean, it was funny at times, but it was kind of a weak chuckle, sort of like, "Hey, okay." Yeah. But like, there was nothing. There was nothing else redeeming about them. I mean, there was this one scene when they were dancing in the village, when the Moroccan guy basically is just a weird Moroccan guy. He comes out, says some weird gobbledygook. He's like, "Oh yeah, whiskey is best drunk when we are dancing," or some crap like that. And then like. Steve and Diana start dancing. They're just like, really? They're gonna play that bit role for nothing? Give me a break, dude. I like I was sorely disappointed with with the usage of, of that cast. And on that, like when when they pick up their cast and right after the uh the the no man's land scene, that's when the like that's when the movie took a sharp turn downward for me. It, it kind of leads up basically to the final fight scene between yeah. Wonder Woman and and then first there's the mad, mad scientist who eats some kind of pill and then gets superpowers for like becomes like Popeye for like half a second gets a, gets his ass kicked and then you're like uh, all right that was cool this is straight up a crackhead he he literally yeah. is like inhaling crack He's like oh, I'm super strong for 10 minutes oh no it's fading what's going on and then Ares comes out and you're like okay uh, that, number one, that was predictable. Yeah, like who was surprised? Like who was surprised at that? Honestly, come yeah, on, let's yeah, let's yeah. not play moment, here. Yeah, But yeah, when he revealed himself as Ares, like by the way, an, another you know on the topic of worst villain reveals uh, that, <laughs> ever. Um, like we talked about in Guardians of the Galaxy, 
he probably comes in at a close second where he's like, oh, by the way, uh, you're the weapon that can kill me, not your sword. So, you know, do you, you go ahead and kill me? Like, You, you, what, what? you know, I honestly was waiting for him to, like, do a dramatic pause and look straight into the camera like, eh? Eh, did you see that coming? <laughs> Yeah. Uh well I think this movie didn't wasn't cheeky enough to do something like that. But but yeah, I mean I was like, dude, if you're the villain, you don't tell the person that can kill you that they can kill you. Like he should have just straight up lied. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he should have been like, Yeah, you know, it was that uh it was that black girl. You know, that yeah. that's that's Zeus's daughter. Like yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah. you know, she's not here, you can't kill me. So like, what are you gonna do about it? Like ha ha JK. But you know, even before Ares makes his big reveal there was like two or three scenes that were just completely unnecessary in this film. When Diana goes to the party and, and Steve Trevor is hitting on uh, Dr. No or whatever her name is. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Dr. Poison. Like, well, like, honestly, what was the point of that? It, you, you, they're like, Ooh, we're going to infiltrate this castle and we are going to find out what happens. Like, there was 20 minutes of the film there that could have been used for something else, a fight montage, you know, some sort of, you know, they, they investigate and find out like what Ares has been like. It makes it seem like, you know, Wonder Woman didn't land in, in London and then three days later, World War One was over, you know, like th- there was, there was a real pacing problem after the No Man's Land fight scene. And then for no reason at all, this general, like, A, they put this castle within canon distance of the <laughs> DMZ. You, you know, like, they literally walked half a day to get to the castle where all these important German diplomats were going. And they were just like, ah, I guess, you know, it's far enough that, you know, we don't need to worry about a straight artillery shell or like a push by the Allied forces to take over this castle. It made absolutely no sense. And then Diana goes to this party and is convinced that this general guy is is Ares, and it tries to assassinate him. And and then what? Like he she gets the party and she gets stopped. And then like he makes this weird ominous speech and then just bombs the village that she just came from. It it was so cheap. It was such like a disappointment to to watch them go that route. Because it was absolutely unnecessary. They, it was like they thought they were running out of time for their big, explosive, shitty final fight scene. So they decided to do this to like ramp up the emotional stakes, and it failed for them. It felt it fell flat on its face for me, at least. Well, I, I think it was necessary because the guy blowing up the city, it, like it had to show that, like he wasn't like when she finds out that he wasn't Ares. Like that's kind of the the realization that she's like, oh man, like he was a regular human being that that did this. Humans are fucked up. So I think the the city <laughs> getting blown up was necessary. But you're right, it was very drawn out, like you know, castle castle heist scene that was like you know they they go through all this effort to sneak into the party when they really accomplished nothing. Okay, well, than... <laughs> Emil, let me let me let me pose let me pose this question for you. What was the point of the poison gas? Honestly, like. You know, I, I get that you need a motivating factor for Steve Trevor to go out and, like, you know, t- 
try and get this, you know, super important information back to the Allies. But in the end, they launch the poison gas at this village and just the village dies. I'm pretty sure that this poison gas didn't go past the village at all. And the, the village couldn't be more than a square mile, right? <laughs> I mean, they bombarded this, this thing. And at the end, it's like, no, no, you know, if we detonate this poison gas, it could kill an entire continent. And I'm just like, how? How are you going to do that? Like, what? <laughs> In what world, like, is that going to happen? That your your concept, the point, like, did you take science? Did you do you know how gas flows and everything? It's, Maybe air's heavier. Where and, like, in German, <laughs> and and it's like it's like the whole concept of this is so manufactured. I mean, it's not like they didn't have mustard gas back in the day. You know, like what they ooh, we we made a more lethal version of mustard gas, and that's going to change that shit. Give me a break, man. That that was so, I mean, the whole premise of it was so contrived, and you didn't care until they tried to make it like a major plot point. Well, let's move it on and talk about the final fight scene, because I I had major issues with it. It becomes oh a, just a giant slugfest, which is like basically Superman versus Doomsday. I mean, it's just inexplicable magic where she just absorbs lightning bolts and shoots them back. It's like, it, like I was drained. It was already, it, it's kind of a long movie. And then when you, yeah. when you end it with just a slug fest, like, you know, that, that's one thing they didn't learn from Batman v Superman. Right. So from, from what I understand, Patty Jenkins, who is the director of this film, uh, had creative control over the vast majority of the film, except the last 20 minutes of it. And that makes Zack Snyder. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Like it was the WB executives. You know, it was the same people who asked for a recut of Suicide Squad. It was the same person, people who are asking, who did the uh, critical review of Dawn of Justice and said, wow, this is good shit. And then, you know, they come out and they put out this garbage. Like that you could, you could feel the tonal shift. Like, I feel as though I would be more forgiving about the general's decision to gas the village and the whole party scene if Patty Jenkins was given an, an opportunity to flesh it out. But no, instead, you said that you hit the nail right on the head. You get this, like, ridiculous, you know what, we've spent this entire movie establishing whose powers, like, who has what sort of powers. Let's just say F it and give George Lucas, uh, like, $100 million to throw at this thing. Is god awful. God. They they don't really explain, you know, what Ares' powers limitations are. I mean, he can like lift up planes and smash him into people. Like I never really like seeing telekinesis in anything. Because no. if you can pick up airplanes and smash him into people, can't you just shred people apart? Exactly. Like, like can't you just pull people's insides out of their assholes and exactly. them? Like, exactly. When it comes to superhero films, I always like to understand what are the limitations of these people's powers. For Same sure. thing goes for Apocalypse. Like, Apocalypse, you know, in X-Men Apocalypse was making people just fucking disintegrate by just, like, yeah. looking at him. Like, why didn't, he, why didn't he just do that to all the X-Men? Like, Because boom. he used up his super meter, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, his limit break. Yeah. I, look, and, and here's the other thing with the fight scene. You know, Ares, Wonder Woman fight scene, awful. God-awful fight scene. But what the fuck was the rest of the crew doing, you know, on the base? Like, Getting I, shot I'm, at. No, I mean, here's the, like, here's the thing. They get to the base and then they run out and all four of these, like, weird people are able to touch the damn poison plane. 
right? <laughs> they can touch the plane with all the poison in it. And then the Moroccan guy goes like, no, we, we, we can't blow it up. It, it's going to spread. Like, like it's going to kill everything within a, you know, eight mile radius. And we're like, oh, okay. So then they run away from the plane. They run towards Diana. And then the plane starts to take off. And then Steve Trevor's like, no, wait. I need to run back towards the plane <laughs> and get on that plane. And then he flies into the atmosphere. He flies into the sky. And then my wife was trying to tell me, no, no, no. He probably flew five miles up so that it all just dissipated in the air, you know, or something like that. But you could still see the damn plane. I get it that you're trying to do that. And then, like, they gave us some explanation. It was like, oh, yeah, fire will consume all of the gas. And I'm just like, but you can have fire on the ground. I don't understand, like, what the <laughs> hell you are doing. And then you, you see Chris Pine up there. I swear to God, he's pointing the gun back at the canisters, but he's just like, I can't believe the WB did me like this. I can't believe they're going to fucking kill me in this goddamn plane where we could have blew it up on the ground. And then he blows it up, and then all the sequel possibilities are just thrown out of the window there. It's awful. I, I wanted to like scream at the at the screen because that that was so disappointing. For for a, a movie that started off with such great potential, that was one of the worst endings I've ever seen in any film, superhero or not. Mm, mm. <laughs> Uh, strong words. I don't know if I agree about that. I, I think I still think he had to die. I think there, there's no point in keeping him alive. There's no point in having a sequel take place within a couple of years right after this one. And I'll tell you why. I, I think the Wonder Woman naiveness, you know, that the cutesy like fish out of water. It's almost like a you know I read an article saying that Wonder Woman is basically this movie is basically a Disney movie, right? Yeah. It's mm -hmm. a princess who you know has some some kind of power who steps right. out yeah. of her world into uh, something it's else. Frozen. <laughs> right. Right. So if they were to make another, like I don't think DC intended I... on making another movie right after this. Like I said, I'm going back to going back to Captain America. They. There was no point in them making another movie of Captain America fighting, you know, the Korean War. No, you know? absolutely. <laughs> but they froze Cap. They froze yeah. Cap. And in the same movie, they they unfroze him for Avengers. It made sense in the greater cinematic scene of things. Wonder Woman is still in the 20s when we leave her off at the end of this movie. And I'll bet money that the the sequel, and, and you can quote me on this, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you can quote me on this. DC is going to make another movie in the past. They're going to do World War II. Bet money. No. They're not I guarantee you. I guarantee That'd be you. Stupid. I guarantee you. Bet like, money. I, Dude, like, I, I, I I'll put good money that their sequel is going to be in the past. All right. I'll bet you a McChicken. I'm down for that. Let's do All it. All right. You heard it here on the Wang Bang Podcast, Episode 8. Jeff Liu will bet Emil Wang a McChicken. I will fly to Seattle and buy you that McChicken no. if, it, if it doesn't happen. Well, Jeff, I think we're uh, we're coming up on the end. Um, any final thoughts on the movie or any you know, the DC universe as a whole? Wonder Woman gave me hope for the DC cinematic universe. Um, and you know, if if people aren't uh, haven't kept up with the news, Zack Snyder is actually stepping down from the production of Justice League because he's had a death in his family. And Joss Whedon, who did the Avengers and had a big part in influencing 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Phase One is taking over the reins for Justice League, and you know that gives me hope. But that being said, I think the damage is done here. Um, unless they choose to revamp the entire cinematic universe to revolve around Gal Gadot's character, I don't know how they save it because we've seen the previews for Justice League at this point, and it's that same sort of like overly dark, you know, overly gothic sort of feel. Um, it's way too macho for like the sensibilities, and I don't know how they correct it at this point. Um, we've talked about this in sideline conversations. Wonder Woman actually piques my interest for some of the tertiary characters that they may do. I think that Harley Quinn is enough of a recognizable character. Batgirl is in the works, I think, for 2019. And I think at some point that they're going to be pushing for a Birds of Prey movie. And I, I honestly think that's going to be DC's saving grace because I really don't want to see the mainstream characters in DC anymore. I'm I'm not impressed with Ben Affleck's um, Batman. I'm not impressed with Henry Cavill's Superman. You know, unless Jason Momoa and uh, uh, the kid that's going to be played play, Ezra, Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller, unless they put on just like spe- absolutely spectacular performances, which I'm still holding out for because it seems like they have a lot of fun on set. If if Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, and Gal Gadot can put on a performance that you know, like we all truly enjoy, and um, the kid that's playing Cyborg, he I think he's a newcomer to the game as well. If they can put on like an amazing performance to overshadow Batfleck and Henry Cavill, I you know, like I think that's the only way that DC salvages this universe. I think it's going to com- continue to be a commercial success, but it's just one that I don't want to watch you know unless unless there's something a little bit lighter and wonder woman was a, brought a little bit of light there and you know i really hope that they can they can continue building on this momentum forget the last you know 20 minutes of wonder woman and build off like the wonderful universe the hopeful universe that they had made with the first like two hours of the movie and i will say this if the dc cinematic universe wants to stay alive they have to keep will smith out of it I think I, you, I, you're crazy. Yeah, you, you have a you have a grudge. <laughs> I, I think it's it's hilarious that they're like, oh man, you know, uh, the Suicide Squad wasn't funny enough, so uh, l- let's reshoot it and recut it, and uh, l- 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 let's film more scenes of Will Smith uh, be- being a smartass because we haven't seen enough of that yet. It's hilarious to me that that like he was like their like ace in the hole to make a movie better. Oh, I mean, don't you know that Suicide Squad is going to be Will Smith and Martin Lawrence as uh, Deathstroke? <laughs> Directed by Jerry Bruckheimer and Michael Bay. Bad with, boys, bad boys. With, with full-on 360 camera views. Oh, that would, I would watch that. Suicide Squad Miami. Oh, I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Well, it's been great talking to you, but I think we're just about out of time. This is Emil Wang. And this is Jeff Liu. This is the E-Wang Bang Podcast, and keep on banging.